0: Hello, and welcome to Center Stage, a podcast for those interested in how the mind of an artist works. We sit down with actors, directors, writers, and artists of all kinds to figure out just what gets their creative juices flowing. I'm your host and producer, Sergio Delesprea. On today's episode, we're joined by actor, director, producer Nick Bublitz. Nick and I met at the University of Florida when Nick was pursuing his graduate degree and I was pursuing my undergraduate degree. Without further ado, let's get into the interview. Nick Bublitz. He is an actor, director, producer, artiste extraordinaire, uh, in the theater, in every other thing. <laughs> uh, we tried to figure out what I would introduce you as, and we just decided on all of it, since Nick, you do everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think I do everything. It, they always say, like, the master of all is the master of none, but I, I would actively like to fight that um, idea, because in this day and age... You gotta be everything.
0: You do. You do have to be everything. Uh, Nick and I met at the University of Florida. I was completing my undergrad and Nick was a master student in the MFA acting program at the University of Florida. So we crossed paths a lot. We hung out a lot in the hallway and we really got to know each other, both as people and as artists. And I'm really, really happy that you could be on. Thanks for being on, Nick.
1: Of course. Thank you for inviting me. It's uh, It's it's uh so wild and weird to be like outside of that bubble and to still have the connections that we do and you know gator gator nation is a real thing man
0: yeah we we really do be everywhere they joke about that I, but we honestly, really are <laughs>
1: it's like I, I sometimes sometimes i'm like down i'm like walking down the street and i see someone in a uf shirt and i'm like oh i went to uf and they're like oh i you know like oh i don't i'm i'm not a i'm not a gator but my brother is or this person is and It's, uh, it's insane. Like coming from a small college for my undergrad to like this for like to UF for my, uh, for grad school was just like, just the complete opposite of I like had like a thousand people in my undergrad and like UF had more than that.
0: Oh yeah. There were tons of people at Florida, but we'll get to your, your undergrad and your grad school. Yes, 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 yes. We'll get to that in a second, but I want to start off with what I start with every single guest that comes on center stage. Um, Nick, what does being an artist mean to you? Yeah, very simple questions to start us off. <laughs> um,
1: welcome to the rest of the 30-minute conversation we're about to have, 45 um, Man, I I think that being an artist is a constant conversation with yourself. At the core of my artistry, I think, is this kind of idea of um, storytelling and uh, community building. So, I mean, like, there's so much history involving art, theater, all of that stuff. But I think I describe myself as an artist. Um, When I think of myself as an artist, I think I think of myself as a storyteller and uh, fitting into whatever position in whatever project I'm on or attached to whatever role I play as a, as a storyteller of sorts. Um, And I think that at its core, storytelling is why we come, come back to the theater. It's why we come back to film TV, so on and so forth. But I mean, like, to be an artist, you have to have a perspective. You have to be willing to engage in conversation and you have to want to, uh, yeah, you just, it's a story. This is all a story. And uh, I think that that's at the heart of, I think where I grow and where I have grown, is um, just recognizing my place in that kind of storytelling process.
0: So, So when did you really start to, grasp the idea of storytelling like because i i know a lot of people say that they come to the theater or just art in general at a later age some people are the so-called theater bug. when did you get bit by that when did you start to really understand that storytelling was such a big part of your life
1: i think you know from a young age when you're a kid i think you have those moments i didn't personally recognize or acknowledge i started i started in a uh it started acting at, uh, when I was about 15 and I'll get into that. But when I was younger, I was always, I mean, like active imagination. I always, you know, born in the nineties, I always wanted to be a power ranger. I always wanted to like, I always wanted to like imitate things and watching like Robin Williams movies, like Mrs. Dowfire, like uh, Chris Farley and Tommy boy. Um, You've got the Goonies. I, all of that, like, was just like that, that, that imagination of like, other worlds to me was always something that was like so attractive. And like, I have my, like, I'm from the Midwest. I have like my brother and my father and, you know, my my family who is all like sports oriented or like very like into like cars and like that. And I'm just sitting here like in the backyard swinging a stick around pretending I'm the Blue Power Ranger. So like it's, it's always, it's always been, it's always been in me, I think. And I think everyone that is every child that comes into their imagination has the potential to be an artist. It's what they do with it that matters. And if they choose to go down this road, because listen, it is a hard road to go down as a, as an artist. The myths are real folks. Um, but I've always lived with the idea, like starting a little bit after I decided to like start acting that like, if I could do anything else or if I wanted to do anything else, I'd be doing it. whole Like wholeheartedly I would be doing it and I'd be the best at it. And so I, I think that I approach my artistry and my career in that way. But uh, what started me out really was um, when I was 15, I all art is born out of, uh, of, of some sort of grief, but um, I, my father passed away. And um, it was a huge, it was a huge, uh, I mean, like losing a parent in any, at any age is just horrible. And in a lot of ways, it destroyed me, but in a lot of ways, it shaped me to be who I am today. And I'm very proud of that. And like, yeah, I would still love to have my father physically in my life, but he's with me spiritually and he knows the journey that I'm on. And regardless of whatever spiritual belief you have, like I have my own that, you know, has shaped who I am today. But I definitely um, losing my father was like kind of instrumental in putting me on the stage. Um, And that sort of catharsis of just kind of being able to like as a 15 year old losing your dad, you don't have you don't have the, I mean, like, you're going through physical change. Like, I'm literally going from, like, five foot eight to six foot eight in, like, the span of that time. Um, So there's a lot happening there. You're in high school, which is, like, for me was the worst. And you're doing all of this while, like, trying to keep up socially, trying to keep up emotionally. And so in a lot of ways, it, it all kind of built to a head where, like, I needed an outlet and I needed I, I wasn't, you know, yes, I am I was a. I, I am still a very large person, but like the mediums that other people were trying to prescribe to me, like football or sports that didn't translate into like I'm not an angry person. And for football, you have to kind of be that aggressive mindset. I'm I'm like a golden retriever on, on the best of my days. So I'm not really that kind of, like, linebacker, aggressive, like, let's go hit it out. I needed to get on, I needed to get on stage and be someone else and make other people laugh in order to recognize my own healing and to kind of, you know, it started out as that catharsis and then it transformed into just a love that, like, I'm like, hey, I'm kind of, I'm kind of okay at it. (laughs) Like, I'm, you know, like, as a high school, you have to, like, adjust your expectations as a high schooler, but, like. I'm pretty good at this. And this is, it was like a whole world I had never known about, which was just like theater and uh, plays and co- like just doing it. You're like being on stage and entertaining others was something that I'm like, I was like, this makes sense. This is something that is um, truly uh, profound to me. And it, I translated into me pursuing it in my undergrad for like a, a, a BA. Uh, and I minored in like sociology. I'm like theater people. It's all the same. Like it's community. It's a community. And you got to, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really re- realize what I wanted. to do. I thought I wanted to be a teacher and coming, kind of coming back to it. It's all a full circle thing. But uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I got my start because of, you know, losing my father. And outside of that, right after my dad passed away, like my mother had uh, received news that she had breast cancer. So it was like, I was on the, on, I was on like the, like the cusp of like potentially losing to, like both of my parental figures um, and I was very close to them. I was very, like I'm, I still am to my mother um, and I'm close with my family in general. Um, hi mom. As a 17 year 1617 16, 17 year old having just lost his father, dealing with his mother, having breast cancer and processing his own maturity, like growing into an adult, you know, there was a, there was some things that I was super intuitive about like emotional intelligence like your emotional intelligence when you go through that at a young age just becomes just flooded like you know you you can be you feel like an old soul where you've like gone through it but also at the same time the emotional connection is also that of a 17 year old struggling with the loss of his father and the potential loss of his mother so it was just like all of that kind of built in and it was kind of like hey there's an outlet theater is there and when I can get on stage and make people laugh or like you know, do something with my, with my, the weirdness of my body, because I'm a very big person, but I'm a very limber person. So that always makes people very happy when they see a six foot eight person just like drop into the splits or kick the top of a door frame or like all of that. So I was like looking for that external kind of validation that kind of, it helped a little, I'm not saying that therapy is important, but like, um, for a kid, it was, it was kind of attractive. And you got like that acting bug in me. And I was like, yes, I want to do that. So that's where I got my start.
0: I feel like, and thank you for sharing that. Uh, about yeah, your thank father you for asking. Your mom. Uh, I feel like it's similar to how I got into theater. Granted, I didn't have a parent die and I'm sorry for that. And I I don't want to, I don't want to, what I'm about to say to be. No, on no, 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 no love please. You know what I mean? Our,
1: our, you know, our experiences have converged at a different point in our lives, but like that does not invalidate your perspective and your start, you know, like at all. And I'm like, I think everyone listening would be you know aware of that as well. Right.
0: Of course. I just want to clarify that. then. <laughs> <laughs> you know but I went to multiple highs. I went to three high schools. And so there's a lot of change. And I feel like one of the things that I've, you know, talked with people and one theory that I have is that a lot of artists are kind of, I don't want to say attracted to change, but are attracted maybe to the theater or to any kind of art that they pursue, regardless of the medium. Simply because it's something that they control and it's something that's in their hands, similar to some, you know, athletes with sports and this and that, whatever. So for me, I got into theater middle school, high school, and it was like I kept moving, I kept moving around, you know, growing up we, we moved, lived in a lot of apartments. And so for me, theater was like, All right, cool, I can be someone else and I don't have to worry about all the stuff yeah. going on in my life. It and it's so, kind of
1: like the solid. It's like a Right. It's a through line. It's something that you can rely on.
0: It's your own personal through line and Connection, consistency. Yeah. And so what I what I found was that, and I'm kind of getting parallels with your journey is earlier on, I kind of gravitated towards more of the funny stuff and trying to make people laugh and trying to be in funny plays or funny musicals and things that have happy endings and stuff. Whereas when I got to undergrad, I really started to gravitate towards the more serious aspect of the theater. You know, serious performances and things based off of text and difficult storylines, which did you prefer growing up? And did you have a similar change? Because I know that I went from Spelling Bee being my favorite show, which to the listeners is a musical about a bunch of tw- 10, 12 year olds being in a Spelling Bee. So take that what you will. It's a comedy versus, you know, some of the work that we did with Florida Players or some of the serious stuff, stuff like maybe Spring Awakening that that I did my junior year, you know, some some more serious pieces. Did you have that transition? And did you feel like which one do you prefer and at what age and all that stuff you know
1: i don't think i had a preference i think i think that i think that i'm naturally just i i, I think i with the with the quirky disposition that i have in terms of just like with the experience that i have i think my energy lends it, lends itself to something that is more comedic you've seen you you know you know that that's the truth and like i i outside of everything in my personal connection whatever like i know that i fit into something more comedic i'm not stepping into like you know a taxi driver role and being like you talking to me because people would die
0: listen you 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 are six foot (laughs) eight and you can move around like no one's business if you're not perfectly built for something like a farce i don't know who is
1: yeah Right. And like, I, I, I think that I think that the initial attraction is always to make people laugh. I think I think from a young age, I've always loved doing that. I think that there's uh, we, whatever our whatever our own personal connections are, I think that you key into it from the love and the passion of it. And it oftentimes does have to do with the ability to be someone other than yourself and to get a laugh. Um, At least for the people that are like comedic. I don't know. I've never, I don't know. I've never met someone that was like, I was 17 years old and I was in the productions of all my sons and it changed my life. I just, I've never met that person. I would love to meet that person. Or like I was, I was in the three sisters when I was 14 and it was revel like, good for them. Like, that production please, of
0: I, Hedda Gabler was yeah, so that impactful pro- at 16.
1: <laughs> gunshot. It oh, changed the world. And for, um, and for
0: listeners, we're talking about a bunch of Anton Chekhov plays. And so it's, uh, um,
1: and just yeah. like uh, Ibsen and you know, like yeah. all, all of that. I've never, met, I've, in in my education it was always like oh we have to do like we have to do a classical thing we have to you know we wanted to get more and so i think you know when i started it was a very general perspective of like it was like a smorgasbord of like musicals it was uh you know a comedy or drama musical or you know whatever you want to call that i'm not really a musical person but then we like would have to do like something like shakespeare or we'd have like a greek play you know i was in this really awful heinous production of liz Estrada in, in my like in my freshman year of undergrad that like just was the worst and like it it had was no one's fault but the director but like it was just like so it was we were trying our best but we really didn't have anything to do with it and as a a freshman
0: you're like as a freshman like
1: learning like as a freshman learning what like greek comedy can be like liz Estrada, that's like set in the 20s and is like vaudeville and i was just like we're missing the mark and i didn't know it back then but like it was it was not good (laughs) Sorry to anyone that was in that production that might be listening. But then again, probably no one that was in that production. <laughs> but, like, getting, I think, a, a rounded perspective of, like, I think, I think it's such a... The, the first thing anyone asks you when you're a, an actor is, like, oh, do you like comedies? Do you like dramas? And I'm just, like, um, I think I think some of the most like up like some of the funniest comedy has the most serious like heartfelt drama to it and i think some of the most heartfelt dramas have the, like the funniest comedy so like i always operate from the perspective that it always can be both and it, i don't want to ever limit i don't want to limit a production or something that i'm doing to like my prescribed notions of what i think or what other people think comedy is i've always been i've always been like I can do both. I can like, I'm like, I want to, I want to make someone laugh. And then I just want to just like have like a, like, I want to like, cr- I want to like cry afterwards or I've seen, because some of the best things I've seen, I've been born, you know, born and raised in Chicago. You know, I've seen, I've seen plays at you know, Steppenwolf, Goodman, all of these, all of these big names, you know, the Chicago Shakespeare theater, all of these theaters in, uh, I've just named three of them, but there's so many more that are wonderful that have paired like laughter with, you know, with tears. And it's just like, that's, that's always something that I've been interested in. I guess I've not, I've just, I think the thing that I'm saying in a more eloquent way of saying it is I've never tried to limit myself in regards to uh, comedy or drama or, you know, whatever it is.
0: And that's, that, 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 that I think is, is honorable because so many people or so many audience members like to pinpoint actors into a certain category where oh I can't this person can't play this they're the funny guy oh this person can't play this they're the they're the serious dramatic girl or whatever
1: well everyone everyone that's everyone that's in charge is going to do that for you so for me to do that for myself doesn't feel I mean it might be stupid cuz I might not get a paycheck for x y and z thing that I might not be good, uh, you know but I I like to see the potential in myself hopefully in the in the rare bouts of self confidence that I have I I feel like other people will be like mm, you better fit you know elsewhere and that might be the case i might be completely off base with my own with my own casting and things or my own performances and things but like i would trust that the team that i have assembled around me or the people that are in my corner can you know people are always going to judge they're always going to say oh you're not right for this you're not right for that but like why do that to yourself
0: when <laughs> other people are going to
1: so readily
0: exactly do it to you the, the whole industry is riddled with that, <laughs> right? So.
1: Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna tear you down anyway, so might yeah. as well just you know take
0: right. it. Just so, Nick, I want to know. I want to take you back to undergrad. Where did you go to school, and what did you learn from your undergrad? And you got a BA, right? Because we yeah, had, I got a
1: bachelor's degree.
0: We've had a we've had a conversation where like a bachelor of fine arts was something that I got. It was a more specialized program versus a BA is a bit more of a general theater degree. As as we had our friend Zach on earlier, and he had a BA. Hi, Zach, I miss so, you. <laughs> we miss him too. So what did you learn? Where did you go to school and what did you learn the most from there?
1: I went to Dominican University in River Forest, Illinois, which is a small Catholic college that is like right outside the city of Chicago. It was about 30 minutes away from my home in Addison, Illinois. And uh, you can hear it in my accent. But I went there because, you know, financial aid is a real thing. And I, you know, it was... Far enough for me to get away from my hometown, but not far enough for me to require like a ticket to like come back home, uh, like a plane ticket or train ticket, whatever you want, however, whatever mode of transportation. And I think I always had the intention of potential, uh, the intention of potentially transferring and um, looking into other things. But I kind of didn't really, I, I knew when I went to college, I was like, I think I'm going to be a teacher. And I went to like, in my first year, I was like, I'm going to do, you know, education. They have a great education program. The Dominican University is a really great small university. And what attracted me to the program as well was I knew I kind of wanted to do theater. And I'd seen from the year prior, a really good friend of mine back in the day was going there and uh, he and I were in the same high school and he went, he was a year older than me. He went to this university and was performing and doing things and I was like you know what that that's that's exactly what I need like I I would love the opportunity it was a smaller theater it's the opportunity to perform and what they did was they cast professional actors from the city in the productions that we were in so working with yeah working with working with professional working uh, like uh, actors was something that interested me so when I was there my first year the friend that I, that had brought me to the, to the the university ended up transferring uh, off to the west coast he like abandoned uh abandoned me and uh, I was kind of left my freshman year to like you know I had the connections I knew some of his friends you know I kind of had that world kind of starting to establish myself and it was kind of like a being a big fish in a small pond in the sense where it was like There were not a lot of male performers. There were not a lot of, there were like three opportunities to audition for like a fall show, a spring show, a winter show and a spring show. And like, for me, when I started as a like education major, I was like, you know what? Like I can do this. It was, it was something that gave me the extracurricular activities to like actually perform. And the education, as I started to realize that I didn't want to go into education, that I was actually like, you know, theater is the thing for me. Because I had started a little bit late. I think if I would have started my journey in theater or my journey as an actor younger or like elementary or middle school, not only would have I have just been more obnoxious, but I think I would have kind of gone to, uh, I would have gone to get a BFA had I known that that's what I wanted. But I was there and I didn't want to, I'd exhausted all efforts to potentially go and pursue a, like a BFA. Like I got into Ball State University in Indiana, which had a, has a really great, great program. And I was, I wasn't going to do musical theater. I was going to do acting, but then I realized there's another four years on top of that. I was already two years into my education. So it was just like, the money didn't really make sense to me. And like, I really just wasn't to get an MFA. I was just like, or to get an MFA, to get a BFA at two years in when I realized that, Hey, I'm making the shift to doing this major wise. I'm, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to just get the bachelor's and potentially apply for grad school later in life which I ended up doing and I did before my you know I did before I entered my late my late 20s but I think what my education at Dominican offered me was one on one with the heads of the department and they gave me like amazing opportunities to do and to showcase what what I could do like on stage I was, you know, I was offered, you know, main stage roles. I was I was given opportunities to perform every semester. And in BFA programs, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes there are people that go years without performing and then they have a BFA and all of they all of the performing they've done is in class. And that's and not everything something that is I
0: like wanted. theoretical. Everything is I learned I learned this technique and I was able to apply it with these scenes in class, but I haven't really been in a show in four years, you know, and and nothing, nothing can replicate the experience of being on stage and stuff.
1: Yeah. I think working with like real Chicago actors too, on top of that, I think that really shaped who I was as well. And like, I've been out for almost 10 years uh, For my undergrad, and I was like literally just invited back to be one of those professional actors to be in one of their digital
0: performances. That, that that's got to be fun, performing. right? Like that. It it was you know?
1: odd because it was definitely like I was working with the the you know my the head of the department again, um, and she is she's she was instrumental in like shaping the foundational work of my practices as an actor. And like the pursuit of just laughter and love and kindness. I think that that is always when you're, when you're starting in an undergrad to have that is just so good because there are a lot of programs like we're going to build you from the ground up. You're nothing, you're spineless. And that's never, I don't resonate with that. I've never resonated with that perspective. Yeah. So like it was kind of like a come as you are and you know, she didn't suffer fools. She wasn't going to put up with my if I was doing something wrong. So like, uh, it was, it was kind of like it was it was a program that was built around like one or two really like big heads of the department and then we had like adjunct work and uh, adjunct professors that kind of like were uh supervising have to, like maybe they would went on to direct a couple shows or something like that but like the main were like the two or three like heads of the technical director um performance area and then like the head of the theater department who is this like lovely older woman who is like she she has a prolific life and like was like a nun that got married that like like I I love this woman her name is Jermaine Soda and she's just like the absolute delight like she's just an absolute delight but like taught theater history was like was just like the mother of everyone and just was so kind so sweet sounds like Um, you
0: uh sounds like you had Maria from the sound of music as your Is your head?
1: I'm not even. I will show you a picture, and that is exactly who it is. Oh my gosh! I'm I'm not even joking. Like and like, she she would my favorite like times like whenever she would like go on tangents for things. She would like talk to us about her life, but like specific moments in her life that just didn't add up because it dated her and made her like 120. You're like (laughs) I don't. I'm like I don't know how you could fit all of this in this lifespan of like (laughs) of a 70 year old woman or like a however old she was. At the time that I was there, she's since retired, but, like, she's iconic. Um, And then my – the performance – I don't know what she would be. I think she was, like, the performance professor, uh, Krista. She stepped into that role after, so she's now that that role. And, you know, in a small BA program, there's, you know, there's there's a handful of people. Back in the day, it was, like, cumulatively for the four years at any given time, there was – no more than 40 people
0: that's and that's not that's not big at all for for a theater school i know our our theater school incorporating every everyone at uf had about 160 170 and that was still small compared to some of the people that i've worked with outside of right. the university so so like
1: yeah like so when we get into uf like stepping into stepping into something like that where like 40 to 50 people is like the the bfa classes or whatever you know just like one class It was kind of, it's like, it's like a lot, but I, yeah, undergrad gave me the foundational knowledge and the ability to, the curiosity to pursue things, because I think that that is super important. It it helped shape me and like my friends as well, the, the, the colleagues that I got there and the friend that brought me out to Dominican that then went out to LA, he was on his own journey but it gave me an interest in while in, like in in my junior year or so about 10 years ago now it made me interested in pursuing a like acting not internship, but it was like a kind of a, a performance thing over the summer in Los Angeles. Well, technically in Costa Mesa, California at South Coast Repertory, which is its own prolific regional institution that I think opened my eyes to so many cool things. And like stepping, like being a twenty one like being a 20 year old, stepping into LA and the California lifestyle, that was instrumental for me being like, when I graduate, I'm going to move and I'm going to move to California. And like, that those moments really shaped
0: me. So is that what you did? What did you do post undergrad and and pre going to UF to get your master's?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like I, like I said, that, 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 uh, in 2011, I got this, um, I got like, I auditioned for this acting conservatory over in Costa Mesa at South Coast Repertory and they have it every year. And if you're a young listener or looking to break into acting or something like that, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. It's a really great program it's it's kind of expensive now still was back then but it put me with professional act working actors and professional like theater creators like in Los Angeles and like that those connections and those friendships I still have to this day so it was like it was like a handful it was like 20 people and it was like a, a six seven week intensive and I like lived in California by myself for the first time in the world like I was on my own living doing the thing like yeah I had my Uh, I had my friends and his friends that were like we were all close so like he was out in LA and I was in Costa Mesa he would like come out for the weekend with his friends and we would like go do things summer of 2011 pristine pristine summer like those were the vibes like I I'm going to be talking about the summer of 2011 until the day I die because it was just so utterly iconic Um, because it was the first time I was like really autonomous in my own pursuit of knowledge outside of an institution and outside of anyone else kind of dictating what was good for me. You know, if you know anything about South Coast repertory, I mean, they are if I could if, if if I do not work there as someone that works in their Pacific Playwrights Festival or they're just in like development or just as an artistic leader there, like I will have I will be for the worst. Like I, I really love their theater. I love the content they create. And I think Um, it really opened my eyes to what kind of started to interest me after I, like, left my undergrad. Because towards the end of undergrad, I was looking to, you know, I was acting, but I was also looking, I was like, I was really passionate about this, like, play or musical that I wanted to write about, like, imaginary friends and an Alcoholics Anonymous. And, like, that they've all been abandoned by their friends, so they're all, like, sitting in a circle, like, trying to be like, what happened? And, like, that ended up, like, that idea, like, ended up taking its own life, doing whatever, and, like, the the collaborator that I worked with ended up taking that idea and going doing something different with it, who wrote the music and everything like that. And it's, like, a bygones, big bygones thing, because it was kind of messy at the time, but, like, I wanted to, like, like, influences for me at that time as well were, like, Starkid out of University of Michigan and like Darren Chris, and uh, all of those people that were like Joey Richter, Lauren, um, Lauren Lopez, all of those people that were doing the Harry Potter musical that were creating their own content. I saw them doing it, putting it online and having a response. And I was just like, why, why doesn't, why don't more people do that? And so I think like what I wanted was something similar and I couldn't probably never recreate, nor should I have ever wanted to recreate the success of their, their own work. Um, But I saw, I think, looking back on it in hindsight, I saw communities being built out of people that were coming out of college that were doing it then and there. And at the height of like this, like YouTube sensation that now is prolific in its own right. But like, I wanted that I wanted to bottle it and I wanted I wanted to be a part of it. And I think it really informed a lot of decisions I made into the day, into like today
0: and, and, and I want I want to pause real quick because that the the what is it Very Potter musical is what they, they named it right Very Potter musical is a thing that was very revolutionary in the theater industry because they were able to successfully take something that they created on stage and put it up on a site like YouTube. And make it so that the masses can consume. So it, it well, was listen, very it's the much. Perfect,
1: it's the perfect storm of YouTube, like a like it's 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 like the perfect storm of like so like of a successful thing. Like if you think about it, at its core, it is a it is a unauthorized musical about parody. Harry Potter. It's, yeah, a, yeah mu- another another is parody. Pa- parody's
0: is Harry an Potter. important word because Par- you can't get sued for parody, and that's why it was so successful.
1: Yeah, it's an unauthorized parody of of Harry Potter, which. Back in the day, super popular. Um, Nowadays, you know, you got a lot of problems with the writer and everything. But I think that. They took something so utterly iconic and they put it on something that was like never – it was never done before really. It was before like Broadway HD. It was before like all of the stuff. And they like uploaded literally. Back when
0: which would mail you DVDs.
1: DVDs. And it was like, yeah. Like they put like part one through like part 20 and they were like five-minute clips. And if you watch the first one, you have to click to the second one, to the third one. And they did that – outside of that, they did like two sequels to it. They did the three – it's like a, a threequel I think. They've done like, you know, from then they've done like so many other cool things. Like I went to go see them live in a show that was basically Starship Troopers meets Little Mermaid, which was like about, it was about like an alien who wanted to be a human and like lived on a, he was named Bug that lived on a planet called Bug World. And his dream was to be a Starship Ranger. And he like sells his soul to this like Ursula type scorpion crustacean type thing. And it's like, it like seared into my brain because they- they, exp- they expanded what it was to be a theater practitioner in like, and they were doing it at my age, like around my age, of not three or four years older, but doing it at my age. And I was just like, man, that's so f- cool. They were doing it with puppets. They they like took, they've done like so many musicals since then. They've done like a, more recently, they've done like the guy who doesn't like musicals, which is about, it's like a B list horror movie about a man who hates musicals, getting getting uh like tortured not tortured but like the world is being taken over by aliens who are like their only form of communication is singing and dancing and it's like everyone is slowly being infected and it's like it's like genius they do they like they do really fun cool things now and they've really pioneered the way that theater can kind of make it from um just a singular experience to a more like distributable Online digital media platform,
0: right, and that's the that's the thing that I think is most revolutionary about it. Yes, the content was really good. Yes, they're all really good actors and writers and and producers. They've gone on like to
1: that. do incredible things. Exactly. Like, yeah, like I mean, Darren Chris, There's uh, he's on. Um, he was
0: on Glee. He was on the Gianni Versace American uh, American Crime Story. Yeah. All that stuff. And
1: he's- well, I mean, and like um, one of like one of I think I think it's actually Brittany Coleman who was uh in on, on in Wicked. And like Dylan Saunders, Joey Richter, Lauren Lopez, like they've all gone and done different things. And they've like worked with content creators that like I knew in Los Angeles. So it's like always like a weird world.
0: Hey everyone, it's Sergio. Look, I know what you're thinking. Wow. This episode is really long. It is. It is a long interview. But stuff that Nick said is very, very incredible. And it's a fantastic interview. But if you want to take a break, this would be the moment to do so. So go ahead, get up, get some water. Relax, and if you have other things to do, that's fine. Pause it and come back to the second half whenever you're ready. It'll always be here for you. If you want to just push through, then join me, and we'll continue forward. I'll see you at the end of the episode.
1: Later on when we get to UF, there was a connection that like knew the people from the Harry Potter, uh, the Harry Potter musical, because they like the people that produced Puffs, the story of Harry Potter but told from the Hufflepuff's perspective, um, those people, because they were writing a play about Harry Potter or a parody about Harry Potter, uh, they needed to figure out kind of like how to go about that. So I know that they interacted with those people too. So there's like a lot of really weird, cool connections. But that was like one of the like that influence in particular, something that's like sticking out right now is like a, a thought bubble. That's like that was something that I really wanted to do. So I knew I wanted to, like outside of like going back to all of what we're talking about, the Star Kid side, side chat aside, I knew that I wanted. I knew that I wanted a community, and I knew that I wanted to create, um, but I didn't, as a 21-year-old, I didn't know how to go about it, but I knew that I wanted to live in Los Angeles and pursue acting, so at the end of my education in, like, 2012, um, I took three months to, like, earn myself, like, a measly two grand, and I moved to arguably probably one of the most expensive cities in Los Angeles County, Manhattan Beach, California, And I shared, I shared a, like a a hole in the wall with two other people, my, my, you know, my friend that brought me out there and uh, his friend, and I shared a room with him. Like I literally was a 21 year old adult. Sharing a room, like paying four hundred but I was paying four hundred dollars a month,
0: which is nothing for like
1: for like a beach apartment,
0: like that was two miles
1: from the beach. Like I honestly, like it's off of Manhattan Beach Boulevard. If ever, like it's so like I can picture it as clear as day too. But I lasted there about two and a half, three years. I like to say three years. I think it was like more like two and a half. In that time, I was just like I'm moving to Los Angeles to be an actor and. I was an actor. I did things. I I'm very proud of those things, but I found more often than not in the first like year or two, or the no, I was there for two years. The first year or two, the first year, um, I found that I was being more concerned and consumed by the idea that I needed money. Um, because life, it's life really hits you in the face. Well, and yeah, it it swings it like it swings you back around and hits you in the ass because it's a reality. Like I wanted to be sustaining myself on my own, and I was working as a waiter. And I found that in the first like nine to 10 months, that's all I was consumed by was getting a job, like working, making that money, making sure I was sustaining myself. And I realized that my happiness was way lower than it had ever been because, you know, listen, it's, it's hard. And I, I don't think we, we all know people say it's hard, but like until you're living it, you don't understand and you don't get it because the hustle is a real thing. And in, in my in my second, like going into like the 10th, 11th month or whatever, I decided to start taking classes at UCB and, you know, Groundlings. And I took a few classes there, which gave me a really massive skill set in improvisation, uh, because before that, I was I was terrified of improv. I, that's something that like I could never do. I could never get beyond the idea of not having something prepared. So I think that helped, again, shape something in me that was like, oh, great. I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm so, I don't know if you can ever be the best at improv, but it was something that I had to start understanding to like get out of my own way, taking acting classes, doing that was so instrumental to like, not just being someone who lives in LA that says they're an actor, but is working as a waiter, it helped me then go and do like the, like. Send in auditions for, you know, short films and work at, you know, some, some work on some projects at UCLA and work at some projects in, you know, at USC and can make those connections. I, in my second year, I started making friends outside of my, my roommate's friends because my roommate went to school there and again, had a foundation of collaborators and creators that he had built into his network. And I was a part of that because I had come out there. But I didn't really function in my own right as a creator, out, like really outside of that. So it was it was important for me to go out and find creators or find friends, and I did that. I did a, I found a handful of them, and I had some of my friends from the the intensive that I had that were living out in Los Angeles that I connected with and everything like that. But towards the end of my time in Los Angeles, there was a lot of things happening, like you know outside of just uh living situations it was just like finances were being drained and like i was enjoying myself i actually think i did more acting work in the last seven months of me living in la than the first year and a half that i was ever there so it was it was wonderful to like actually like be on sets like glee and like new girl and a bunch of other play like plays a bunch of other tv shows and just doing like background work or doing like you know really fun things it was great to do that and have that experience but, like, I wasn't community building. I wasn't building my community outside of just my own, my own personal, artistic, selfish, like, actor things. Not to say actors are selfish, but, you know, there's that, there's that trope. But I didn't feel like I was fully building a community. And I, I think what I had seen with my friend who had his built-in network in L.A., With his friends. I didn't have that in a place that I wanted to have that. I had my undergrad friends, which were they were all Chicago actors and, you know, Chicago people, which, you know, I love my uh, undergrad friends. And I made some really great undergrad friends that were like, honestly, like the blueprint for the kind of friends that I made in grad school. It was like the, it was like the final evolution of like Pokemon. like like you start with like your high school, you have like your high school friend group that like then kind of evolves as you shape into a human being into undergrad and then like grad school was like the final form. I, I, I hope it's not the final form. I, I hope I have more of all friends as I continue growing. That would be a morbid thought. But anyway, I digress. it was um, it was important for me and I guess my roommate who at the time was also deciding to move back. We kind of made the decision together. To move back to Chicago because we're both from the same town. It was just a financial choice, and it was something that I was like, you know what? I think I think I've had enough of L.A. I loved living there, um, but I was only living there, and I was—you weren't I
0: fulfilling was. yourself artistically as much as you I wasn't fulfilling
1: liked. myself artistically. No. I had would taken like I had taken like uh, networking. Acting classes that were really—they like it was like it was like accountability classes pretty much where someone that was a professional person that was working and booking and doing all that stuff would like gather groups of people um, that were looking to work on projects for themselves and like it was like holding people accountable. It would be like I showed up today and like I'm telling my story. I'm like and I got I'm like you know, I really need headshots. So it would be like, okay, well, here's X, Y, and Z. Think about X, think about Y, think about Z, think about what you wear, do all that stuff. And then we'd move on to the next person who's like, I'm in the middle of producing my uh, short film. And I'm really at this struggling point, I need an actor. And then, you know, person Y would be like, you know what, I have a friend. So it was like, really kind of, it really,
0: it connects people in a way that, yeah, that, but that's I was, different. you know,
1: I was paying for that, you know, and, and it was really helpful. Um, and like, I think it was called Actor Salon. It was very helpful. And like, a lot of the people that I've met from that are now like successfully producing and things and like doing their own thing in the industry that I see them, those that are still in Los Angeles. But you know, I, I really started to kind of hone myself and what I needed after I made the choice to move back to Illinois. So the, the years that I spent in Los Angeles were still wonderful. And I have beautiful memories from living there. And I do miss living there. But I would only move back if I had a job there. Uh, because that's not a smart thing to do. Because um, I didn't—I moved out there with no job prospects. I moved out there with, with like I think, five grand, maybe four grand in my pocket. And it was a massive undertaking. So when I moved back, I was like, you know what, I'm thinking about grad school. And again, my friend, the same friend, who has played an instrumental amount of uh he he had instrumental part in my life he was thinking about going to grad school so i was just like you know it was it was always like it was always kind of like that kind of like we're both actors we're both we're very different types but he was thinking about doing it and so and so was i too and at that point it was probably because i was like well there's nothing else to do but looking back at it i realized that it was for my own edification it was because I had I mean I had applied to UCLA when I was out in uh, Los Angeles I had auditioned for it in private and didn't really tell anyone and I wanted to get an MFA I wanted to go and do that when I was there so I was like it was the natural progression like I started studying for the like that grad school test which was like it turns out you didn't even need it I didn't need the scores in math to pursue an MFA in acting I always had the intent when I moved back that I was applying and We both kind of applied for that year. And I got an offer to go to grad school at a different school in D.C. And then I didn't end up taking it. My friend ended up taking a a gig, uh, an MFA uh, spot in New York and uh it took him to new york and i was just in illinois saving money working as a waiter um trying to audition for things and trying to you know figure it out but mostly saving money and then mm-hmm. the, the year following the following year i auditioned for uh urdas and i got the call for urdas and urdas
0: URTA, Af- is like a unified United Place. residency
1: theater association something yeah. like that but yeah. it's unified auditions for right. um grad school.
0: So you show up, you, you audition in front of a bunch of people and then certain schools will call you back yeah. saying, we it's like you one audition. Like
1: you. Yeah. It's one audition for like 40 schools, which is, ugh, it's beautiful. You don't have to pay the f- application fees for all these schools only if they want to see you, but it's, it's, you know, it was a good way to get in the room. And that whole thing was like, I had also auditioned for UCLA again. And like in grad school, I really, I really wanted to, I think I thought I really wanted to go to UCLA I mean, like, who doesn't? Like, right? Of course, great Great school, Hmm. you know. And when I auditioned, I got in to UCLA, and I don't think I don't know if I've told you this, but I got into UCLA, and then I found out that I got into UF. Like a day after I had confirmed that I was going to the university, like UCLA, I got a call from Dr. Ralph.
0: Doctor uh, Doctor Ralph is a is a professor at the University of Professor.
1: Yeah. uh, Great man. Just retired. He called me and he was like, yeah, um, we have a spot for you and we're really interested in you. And I was like, you know what? I just accepted a UCLA. So thank you. But no, thank you. And I literally said that to him and he's like, okay, cool. And then I like, then I, then I was like, wait a minute. It was a full ride scholarship. It was being paid to teach. It was a smaller class. And it was, while it was in Florida, it, you know, while it wasn't in LA, it was in Florida. So I had to really heavily consider it. I had to fly out to see the campus. I was like, really, like, I was really torn because I was really wanted to go to UCLA, but ultimately money talks in a lot of ways. And at UCLA, I would have gone into like hundreds of thousand dollars of debt. And I was not committed to like, I was not into that idea. So I was just like, well, if I have something that's free, that doesn't cost me money to do. And then they're paying me. They're asking me to take the experiences that I've had in LA and in my past. And they're asking me to shape, continue shaping myself. And grad school is the opportunity to build another community. And that's, I think, what I was super into. Because regardless of where I, went, I, I would have went, I think I would still be pursuing what I'm pursuing. But the trajectory lined me up perfectly so that you and I could intersect and a bunch of other of my now and near and dear friends could intersect. We were all destined to like, in the grand scheme of things, whatever lines that we're on in our journey, like have inter- intersected with us. And now while they are diverging, we're going to come back together. Like we're going to see, you know, so I started in 2016 at the University of Florida and um, I don't regret it. It was, Probably the best you, you get. the. I don't know if you've ever been on those moments where you're like, man, this choice seems like a really big choice. And like, I don't know if I'm making the right one. And for the first year, I didn't know if I was making the right one. And then it took me to work on a summer project that revolutionized the way I thought about theater, which was the Magnificent Revengers. It was an interactive like Western comedy from the people who created the the off-Broadway play Puffs they were workshopping this new interactive uh, uh, comedy and I was in it and like to shape a new play in a role that was foundational to this sh- to the show was like inter- like it was I still have those connections to this day like I'm still talking to the producers and to the people that I worked with and have that connection and I have the memory of creating a play that was like a 300 page script because it was a choose your own adventure And it shaped who and what I was interested in at, you know, like in terms of like new play development and like how, like as an actor carving out a role that isn't that I created and the things that made it funny was something that I did like that to me was like, that's the cherry on top of it.
0: It's, it's funny because I, I find parallels between what we talked about earlier with Darren Chris and that whole company about how they revolutionize the way that we can kind of consume art in their idea of, you know, putting it up on YouTube and putting it in short intervals and being able to make theater accessible to everyone. You kind of found something that had such an impact on you. It seems like you found something similar in your time at Florida with your, you know, choose your own adventure play and then with the people that you meet. And and I just find it, I I agree with you that we're all, we're all on our own journeys and we are destined and everything happens for a reason and all those cliches. But I really do believe that with you where, you know, I'm from South Florida. Uh, you're from Chicago. And we ended up meeting in the the probably in, in the, central Florida, in, in, the Gainesville. Deep, <laughs> in the deep south of North Florida in Gainesville. Um, and so, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, and I want to ask you just before we're running out of time. And so I want to I kind of want to wrap some stuff up. But after Florida, right, you have your time at the University of Florida how do you take what you learned in your undergrad, in your time in LA, in your introspection in Chicago and in LA, in your time in Gainesville, how do you package all of that into what you want to do now? You know, cause you've, you have experience producing, you have experience directing, you, you know, obviously experience as an actor. So there's all these different things. How do you package all that?
1: Well, I mean, like, I, I think the through, there was a through line in my, I think like I glanced over it, but like, when I'm in LA, like I, there was a, 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 like there's a Samuel French store that I would love going to, which had all of the plays. And honestly, I always joke about it. Like when I die my heart and my soul will be in that now closed building, just surrounded by all of the plays that I wanted to read. And I never realized how much that was essential for me to recognize my own interest in new play development, which is what kind of brought me to where I am now. In my later, like all of the experience that I had in grad school were more of a like impactful moment for me where I was like, I want to be a new play. I want to develop new plays. I want to, I want to, I want to tell stories that have not been heard before that aren't written or produced or directed by, you know, the same old rich white people. And speaking as a tall cisgendered white man, I, I want, I want that diversity. I I need that inclusivity on stage. And I think what is so important to me now was shaped by like those very, the, those, the very moments that I, in undergrad and in LA that like, I, in your life, like as a young person, you are so close to the puzzle that you're not seeing the other pieces happening or connecting outside of you. You're just so focused on like looking at the next thing or looking at the thing. But like, it literally takes just a step back to see all of the pieces coming together. And as I start like going into my thirties, because now I'm going to be what? Oh my God, I'm in my thirties now. Oh, it's like it's now I can afford to step back and not feel like I'm rushing myself because I've got nothing but time. And I, I think time, like the, the connections I made at UF, super important. But I leveraged my own internship at the end of my third year of my grad school into a position with the company, the theater company that I'm now working at, um, Orlando, Shakes, Orlando Shakespeare Theater. And I'm I used it to produce a help, help produce a new play festival, which then I produced last year in 2019, and then the pandemic hit and everything changed. And so, you know, last this time last year was a very different world. It still is different, not to say that, but like I didn't know what was happening. I had moved back like after I graduated from grad school, um, I acted. You know, for a bit, I then went on to produce again at Orlando um, Shakes, their new play festival. And uh, when I moved back, I was just kind of like, okay, well, I'm back in Chicago. I'm I'm gonna get my, you know, I'm, I'm getting my feet wet in the Chicago pool, which is what I needed to do, what I wanted to do. And then everything shut down. So it's led me to I'm you know I'm still working now as a producer at Orlando Shakes, doing it digitally because I'm still from Chicago. Because the world needs to adapt to the digital media that you know is now needed to produce theater because now it's back in the day where star kid was doing it that was a that was something that was revolutionary but now it's something that needs to happen because it's come in so it's forcing a lot of people to become more articulate in digital media platforms and like producing online stuff because we never knew two years ago what 10 years ago whatever years ago that we were going to all be locked inside with no hope of escaping until maybe a year or two after so where it is leading me is hopefully to – you know all of this journey is hopefully going to lead me to something in artistic leadership. And I hope I listen to this podcast or whatever 15, 20 years from now and I'm just like, oh, Nick, you naive, sweet newborn child. Like you're so – you didn't know anything. But but um,
0: that's good though because then that means in 15 years that you're still growing and you're still continually growing. And that's the point in in my opinion. That's one of the points of art. And that's yeah, the minute the you stop,
1: the minute you like are like, no, we can't do that. Or I don't really want to, I, you know, my, one of, uh, one of the creators that I started working, well, not working with, but, uh, the, one of the creators I worked with, um, he wrote the musical Hills on fire. His name's Keaton. He always used to, he always used to tell me, um, his favorite way of looking at things was you can't do that unless and always end with an unless, because if you have that mindset in creating or in acting or directing or producing or whatever, you're playwriting, Saying you can't do that unless it really unlocks that kind of imagination that's at the core of all of us, that storytelling ability that we are trying to unlock constantly. It's freeing in a way because you can do it and you're going to do it. And so I think at the core of my uh, at the core of the artistry that I I want to continue doing and that I try and I, I try to pursue is just openness, kindness, imagination just engaging with as many people as possible, because like, I've always been at a point where when I leave my high school, the high school gets remodeled and refinished and they get new education stuff. When my undergrad, when I get down to my undergrad, they get new people, they get new this, they get new that. When I leave grad school, everything is changing again now too. So like the professors that we've had are no longer there. Like so like I'm always I've always been at the cusp of the change and helped kind of influence the change that we see at the institutions that I've been a part of. But I've never been I've never been at the forefront of this kind of shift in practicing theater, because we are at a really cool, we're really serious, but also a cool point in our lives as creators in the theater world. That is taking in not only the pandemic, but what's happening with with what's what's happening with BIPOC artists. Um, just in general, it's really important to showcase this kind of it's, it, it's showcasing stories that that taken. Other people's perspectives, like engaging with an audience that isn't all, you know, old rich people. Not to say rich people are bad. I'm not trying to say that at all. Like, not at all, not at all. But like engaging with communities that haven't engaged with theater, I mean that's the magic. That's theater has existed for a lot of years, um, <laughs> and uh many years, and like it's always sustained, it's always been sustained by the next generation. And, so. and always,
0: it's always been a way for the masses to experience. And when you say BIPOC, we mean black and indigenous people of color. Uh, and, and it also is true for Latinx people like myself and you know a whole bunch of different people that traditionally the American theater system has really catered towards that upper level, which happens to be older, rich, and white. And not to say that those people don't belong in the theater, obviously, but the fact it's it's an accessibility thing for everyone, and I think that that's something that it, it carving is, out
1: accessibility and, and making making things making things like theater like accessible is just so like like that's that's the way I mean that's the way it needs to be.
0: We can have an entire podcast dedicated. Oh yeah, to, yeah, that, that's to, that's a different.
1: That's a different conversation. And by by all means, like, it, you know, I recognize my own place in it, which is, like, trying to advo- – like, not trying to, like, advocating for, you know, as much as I can for the voices that need to be represented on stage. And, like, I – like, that's what I want to be a part of as well because, listen, man, things are changing and, like, this, this last year and a half isn't going to just go away and we're going to go back to the way things were because that's not – that's not the way things. Things are right will
0: now. never be this the way they were. No. And honestly, no. and honestly, this may just be our opinion. It's just two guys talking. But it, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to live in a world where things are always just things are explained with well. That's the way we've always done it. I don't like that. I don't like that because then we're not growing. We're not changing.
1: I hate that sentiment. I hate it because, because I've always lived with, or I've like, we've, we've had those, we've had, we've had, you know, those professors, not specifically pointing to anyone that we've particularly, but everyone has had those professors where they're like, well, that's how we have always done it. Well, Brenda, we've always, we used to cure the common cold with like mercury. And then we found (laughs) a better way. Right. We used to like, we're like, oh, we're going to inject you with literal poison to maybe make you feel better. I don't know. So, like, if standard medicine practices can evolve past that, like, well, we used to do it that way. Well, yeah, but we found a better way. And no judgment to the way those people used to do it. They were, they were only – they were using what they, what had. they knew. Mm-hmm. And they were – yeah, they only had a certain set of information in front of them. Not to, like, oversimplify the whole thing. But, like, we're finding better ways mm-hmm. now. And we're trying to find sustainable ways to make people – and to make institutions more accountable for their for their, we're we're just trying to find that accountability. Exactly. And
0: yeah, that's a great way to put it. And I think that's making, a making great... making
1: things more accessible. I think is absolutely always the the best way to uh, possible. And this is again, this is a, this kind of dovetailed into a whole different conversation.
0: But you know what I mean, like. But I think it's a I think it's an important place to kind of end it. Where you know you everything that you've done up to this point has led to this. You know, I don't want to say crusade because that has. A, a I'm only one person, and right.
1: I, I I will be I will gladly be a part, but I will not I, like I I like leading it is not
0: right. But but that's the thing where all of the stuff that you've gone through has led to this you being a part of this this movement amongst us, the younger theater community and such. And and I want to th- I want to thank you for that. And listen, we're running out. Of, we're almost done with time, but I do want to end with the question that I ask everyone: What is the most impactful? piece of art that you've consumed and granted it can be whatever medium you want. It can be a song. It can be a book. It can be a painting. It can be a musical, whatever, whatever you want, whatever piece of art, what's impacted you the most.
1: <laughs> There's so much. Uh, I can't even like, if I get into TV, like if I get into TV shows, we're going to be here for another hour. and I don't want that. Um, the most impactful, the most impactful probably um, to my imagination would probably have to be, I have, I have probably probably two, the most re- like I love cartoons, and I think the the way cartoons have evolved since since I was born in the '90s has been in influential. But like something that makes me just genuinely happy and makes my heart swell is uh, the TV show Steven Universe, which is just about it's just about acceptance, openness, and just identity—who you are—and the, the the love you find in others, and the representation that that kind of heartfelt. Message and it's 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 about fighting, not fighting. It's about it's about fighting. It's aggressive. No, it's about it's about finding a common ground in people you don't necessarily um, you wouldn't think you you'd think it would be antagonistic, but really trying to understand the sources of other people's grief, trauma, anger, and maybe misgivings, and really kind of coming to an understanding, and really kind of fighting your battles with understanding kindness and love i think that that message like rebecca sugar like that art form of like not only animation but the songwriting and just the messaging that it's it's telling our younger generation of children that are growing up right now like i want my i want my nephews to know what that show is i want my nephews and you know even my children to to be aware that like these conversations Getting it started now is just always important, but I don't know if you've seen Steven Universe, but I can't speak of it enough, but that's probably one of the most recent powerful art forms uh, or media, whatever you want to call it, that have kind of really influenced the way I've looked about really hard, tough conversations that we're all going to be engaging with in some way, shape, or form. It's just like, I, I get the question of like, well, what's what's talking about it going to do? Or what's doing this? And what's doing that going to do about it? And I'm just like, I've always been afraid to engage in difficult conversations but the minute i have interacted with the minute my friends or my family are suffering the minute i have to get involved and like talking about things you always try to find common ground and if you can't find common ground like obviously that's where you know a lot of dissent comes from and a lot of castness but like trying to really understand and find a compassionate place like that's never going to go out of style compassion and love and kindness will never go out of style absolutely and having a sense of humor about it too that's my answer i
0: I love that an hour and nine minutes later (laughs) i love that i love that nick Bublets. uh thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate is there anything that you want to plug and promote as we wrap things up um
1: I would love to thank you, Sergio, for having me on and just talking in general. If you ever need me back or talking about other things, I'm happy to do it. But uh, right now, just uh, to the other people, to the people that are listening right now, go read and, and engage with art in a way that you yourself and you can appreciate and find comfort in. Because no matter what it is, as long as you're being safe and as long as you're being respectful of others, you know that's your journey and that's that's the thing i have nothing specific to plug
0: well you're you're just, plugging you're plugging just being a good person and consuming art
1: yeah consume yeah consume art and surprise yourself step outside of your comfort zone do something that you'd never thought you would do even if it's a small step even if it's just like
0: Google, Google art. I don't know. <laughs> Google art. <laughs> Google art.
1: Um, but, Well, you know, well hopefully, I
0: just, instead of Googling art, you can Google center stage and you can listen to yes, all of the arts that oh, we're plugging here.
1: I, I will plug, um, listen, ooh, ooh, I will plug another podcast that I personally love that two of my, uh, two of my colleagues from and friends, I love them both. It's a delightful uh, podcast called uh, Ghostlight and it is a it is a podcast by my uh, that are that's hosted by my friends Elena and Mara uh, called Ghostlight Illuminating Black Artists where they talk about black playwrights who are both new and old that are writing many different kind of plays kind of showcasing those voices and they like to break down the plays they talk about them and it's very it's a, it's a, it's it's great it's a wonderful podcast and i would say listen to it as much as you can because those women are incredibly smart they are incredibly powerful and from their perspective and i just they're so f***ing talented so go go and support them if you like this if you're interested in that
0: i would definitely be putting that in the show notes so to listeners you can just scroll up either you click more on spotify or you can scroll up on apple podcast and you can find the link to that below um nick Bublitz, i want to thank you for coming on again i want to thank you for making me uh practice my editing skills i got to go out and uh Right. I gotta bleep out a bunch of stuff you said and I gotta Oh I'm sure not not gonna swear. Yeah, it's okay. I wanna I I don't tell people that because I wanna get the organic feeling, but
1: oh, who's um, who's who's listening to this? I wanna know that. I, I
0: hope know. many people are listening to this. I hope this. so too.
1: I, I, I just I didn't know if it was gonna be like I didn't know if it was gonna be uh I didn't know if it was going to be, like, class members or, like, if it was going to be, like, if we're just putting it out. We're,
0: <laughs> well, we're, we're putting it out there because we want everyone to go ahead. And and the goal of this podcast is to talk to artists and make sure people can. Obviously, you can edit you know, all of this out. Yeah, Obviously, no you can edit this
1: part out. But, um, but, yeah, thank you so much for having me. This of course. Is, uh, this has been fun. And now I get to go to work.
0: Enjoy your job. Enjoy what you're doing. And... Uh, Nick, I would love to have you back on whenever you can. So let's do like, let's
1: do a panel or something. Let's just just have like a podcast talking about anything. I I would love that. I hope I've been, I hope I've at least given you something to
0: work with. Of course. Uh, Nick Bublitz, thank you so much. Uh, We'll talk to you soon, bud. I'll talk to you later. Please make me sound smart. Special thanks to Nick for coming on and talking all about his journey to where he is today. Make sure to check out Ghostlight, the podcast Nick mentioned at the end of our interview. The link can be found in the show notes below. That's going to do it for this episode of Center Stage. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Center Stage Pod and on Instagram at Center Stage underscore pod. Those links will also be in the show notes below. Keep an eye out for future episodes with more conversations with artists about their craft, what art means to them, and just what makes them tick. I'll leave you with the words of William Shakespeare, To thine own self be true. We'll see you next time.